0: Good morrow, friends. I'm Jordan, and this is not strictly history. Hey everybody, hope you're doing very, very well today. It's great to see all of you. Um, even though you don't know this, it's actually been a while since I recorded. So I'm excited to be back. I'm weirdly out of breath, and we have a great episode planned for today. So All three are things which I felt the need to share with you. (laughs) Okay, so today, everybody, is the first time on Not Strictly History where we're not talking about a specific person, which I find pretty exciting. Um, We're talking about a place, a thing, a structure, if you will, and we're doing that because I thought it would be a fun little change to the pattern that we've got going on and also because this structure is, for lack of a better term, lit, and I'm stoked to talk about it. So, here we are. Today, we are talking about Hadrian's Wall, my friends. That's right. Hadrian's Wall. Can I get an amen? Thank you. Okay. So, for those of you who don't know what Hadrian's Wall is, sit back, relax, I will tell you for those of you who do know what Hadrian's Wall is, sit back, relax and listen to the story, okay? Just do it. It's a wall. <laughs> Spoiler alert everybody, it's it's a wall. It's literally it's ju- it's literally just a wall. Um it's uh it's a wall. But there's a lot to this wall and we're going to talk about it. Let's start with some of the basic things. It's a Roman fortification, okay? So it's really, really old. It was building, wow, okay, here we go. Everybody take a deep breath. We're gonna try to speak English again. Construction on the wall began in AD 122 in the reign of Emperor Hadrian of the Roman Empire. Again, at this point, Britain, England, the UK was a province of the Roman Empire known as Britannia, okay? So this wall is so freaking cool. It, there's just, there's so much to this wall, okay? It spans the entire width of the island, okay? So on the east side of England, you have Wallsend on the River Tyne. And I, because it's England, that very well could be like a whole name. If you're British, and I butchered that, please, please forgive me. Okay, I'm doing my best over here. So that's where it begins on the east. It goes all the way to the west side of the island to Bowness-on-Solway. Okay. And for all intents and purposes, this wall was considered the line between unconquered Caledonia, aka Scotland. That was the Roman name for Scotland and Rome and Roman Britain. It was kind of this barrier between civilized and uncivilized. Now, this is actually really important, this thing I'm about to say, because, fun fact, this wall, okay, it never ever formed the border between England and Scotland. Never. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, because the whole thing is actually in England. It's in northern England, but it's not um, its not the border. And pretty much for forever, people have kind of described it like that, but that's, if you want to get technical, that's actually not the case. Just saying. So this wall, okay, it's a stone wall, and it has ditches in front of it and behind it for the whole width of the island. One of the things, I mean, there's so much about this wall. That is so exciting. (laughs) I mean, just let me nerd out for a second. But like there's so many aspects to this wall, and there's so much about it that I mean, obviously building this wall is a huge undertaking, but there's so many other things of like, oh, I hate it that I just used that word. Forgive me because I use the word like. Okay. Nobody yell at me. I get it. There are a lot of other parts and pieces to the wall that also took a lot of time and that I think are, it's really, really interesting. So not only do we have this wall, but we have the ditches that span the whole width of the wall as well. Not only that, but the wall is also built with um, an alternating pattern of forts, what are known as mile castles, and turrets. So these places, some of these, prop the forts probably, were more for like defensive military type activities, and then other places, maybe the mile castles, for example. Um, maybe these served more as like a customs post, you know, somewhere like your everyday kind of thing. So, almost all of the standing masonry that is that was there was removed actually in the early modern times for nearby roads and houses early modern times being about the 1700s okay so none of Hadrian's wall stands to its original height and modern archaeological work has exposed some of the original footings and there are some sections of the wall that have modern masonry reconstruction on them for fun for just for fun that's why they did that just for fun I meant to say fun fact but whatever And there's also a flat top on sections of the wall, which indicates that's modern construction as well. So there are lots, as I said, there were forts and mile castles and turrets built along the wall. And many of these forts that are on the wall or near the wall are, have been excavated and are open to the public. There are also various museums by the public. I will be posting, wow, I meant by the wall. Museums are open to the public, but they're by the wall. Wow. I will be posting the links to all of those. Okay. Thank you. This wall is 73 miles long and it became a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1987, which I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like that's really late for this to be, you know, entering the World Heritage Site scene, but you know, who am I? What does that mean? And then In 2003, what is known as the National Trail Wall Path was opened. So it's just a hiking trail, essentially, which is along the wall. And they kind of discourage walking on it um, unless it's summertime because I guess the terrain is kind of unstable. But that was opened in 2003. So there's kind of your big overview um, of the wall. And we're going to get into the nitty-gritty now. Let's go back to the time when it was built. So let's talk about Emperor Hadrian. Let's talk about him for just a tiny second. He became the emperor of the Roman Empire in AD 117, okay? And when he became the emperor, there was a lot of crap going on. In summary, there was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of rebellion both in Britain and just across the empire in general. And because he was a Roman emperor... Hadrian believed that he had become emperor through divine instruction, a.k.a. divine monarchy. He had a right to rule from God, the gods, etc. Okay. Now, his predecessor had been all about expansion. He was all about like, hey, let's grow these borders, let's do it. Um, But a lot of the sources suggest that Hadrian was like, you know what, we need to take a chill pill here. And he was actually really passionate about calming things down in all the provinces and keeping the empire intact. So he wanted to solidify and protect what they already had. So historians believe um, that this absolutely influenced his plans to build Hadrian's Wall in Britain. And he also had others like it built across the Roman Empire. These other walls were known as limes, kind of like the citrus limes? I don't know. I don't know why, okay? Which basically acted like loose borders um, with forts to keep control. So one of the important things to note is that Rome at this time, they were really into quote-unquote natural barriers, you know, rivers, mountains, that kind of thing. Um, That's what they used to form their borders most of the time. But in England, we don't have any of those things, so they needed a wall, okay? And Hadrian actually visited Britain in 122. He's been emperor for five years, comes rolling into town, okay? And that was the same year that the wall was begun. So we're pretty sure that it was actually planned before that. And that he just came to see what was up, okay? So the wall is begun. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned this. I did. 73 miles across And it took six years to build most of this wall. Which, to be honest, that both seems really, really fast and, like, really slow. And I can't figure out where I stand in that. But six years, okay? It was mostly built by three different Roman legions. So, legions of soldiers, okay? Which, so, altogether, that was about 15,000 men. And if you're thinking, wait a second... These random soldiers just built the wall. They are not qualified. No, no, no. That's actually not true. So these soldiers would have been trained as surveyors, engineers, masons, carpenters. They were they were qualified, okay? So we're good. And when you look at pictures of Hadrian's wall now, because it's been a few years, it kind of just looks like this cute, fun little wall, okay? It's just like, oh, yay, cute wall, kind of like the walls that you see. Um, in between pastures and things in northern England and in Scotland. But actually, um, no, (laughs) that is not the truth about Hadrian's Wall. So it was originally planned that the whole wall would be um, 10 feet wide. After construction began, this was reduced to eight feet, sometimes a teeny bit less depending on the terrain or what kind of Again, natural barriers were available, Um, but again, most of it was between 8 and 10 feet wide, so it's a substantial thing. Um, Some areas of it actually were originally made with turf and timber, probably because they ran out of resources, but eventually all of that was replaced with stone, and that took a few decades. But back then they were patient about this sort of thing. You know how kings would be like, hey, I just became king. Let's start building my tomb. And it took like 20 years and it was fine. That's the meaning of patience right there. But that's another story for another time. Let's talk about another man. His name is Bede. It is spelled B-E-D-E. He is a monk known as Bede or the Venerable Bede. What a guy. I love him. I love Bede. He is kind of a drama queen, (laughs) to be completely honest. Um, But he's really significant because he wrote a bunch of histories of England. He lived in the six and seven hundreds, and we're really indebted to him for keeping a record of a lot of different things. And that's one of the reasons I love him. Um, Reading one of his books, that was one of the things that first got me into medieval history and made me a medievalist. So, Thank you, Bede. But the reason that we're talking about him in this episode is because he lived at a monastery that was near the wall. So he was really, really familiar with it. And he wrote that it stood 12 feet high with evidence that it was higher originally, which makes sense because Bede is writing about this 500 years after the wall was built. And he, some of his writings also indicate that there might have been a walkway On top of the wall, but we don't really know. So that's really, really awesome that we have that resource. Bede writing 500 years. Okay. That's like, it's so interesting because you think back then and you think, oh, it's, they kind of all happened at the same time. No. (laughs) No. Bede is looking at a structure that's already 500 years old and saying, hey, this thing is 12 feet high with evidence that it was probably a lot higher. Wild. Okay. Crazy, so so crazy. So, I briefly mentioned um the ditches before. Let's talk about that again, really quick. So, what is known as the vallum is south of the wall. There is a 10 foot deep ditch with two parallel wow, two parallel mounds running north and south of it. Okay, so the vallum runs again parallel to the wall pretty much the whole time. There's also pits known as sippy. pretty sure that's how you say that. I did look it up, okay For all of you out there screaming at me for not knowing Latin, I'm sorry, okay, I'm doing my best. So these pits um, are frequently found on the berm or the you know, the flat area in front of the wall and these pits probably held things like branches or small tree trunks entangled with sharp branches. This is exactly what you think it is, okay? These pits are meant to swallow people whole, okay? Essentially. <laughs> these pits were a way that if the wall is being attacked, the per- the people attacking can can be caught in these pits, and not only does it slow their advance, but it keeps them in a good range for the people on the wall to dispatch them. Okay, we'll say that. And let's talk about the width again, just really, really quick. So most of the wall is between 8 and 10 feet in width. And there's actually a ton of scholarship on, like, the broad wall versus the narrow wall. I don't really know. It seems like a lot to me. But um, there are some theories out there that suggest that the broad wall versus the narrow wall has a lot to do with the natural land changes around the wall or maybe the lack of resources at the time. Some scholars say that plans of the wall changed during construction. We don't really know, but the width of the wall does change, but it's really important to note that it's still she-thick, ladies, okay? Like, we got ourselves a wall here, no matter which way you look at it. I think that we should address the important things now not that we haven't i mean we've talked about a lot of important things but let's talk about the most important thing let's talk about the why why are we here okay why did we do this why did they build this wall what is the actual point okay let's talk about it there is a lot a lot here okay Scholars have been studying Hadrian's Wall forever, and I, the most popular thing is to believe that it's defensive, okay? We want to keep out the North, the barbaric peoples of the North. A lot of scholars can't deal with this, and it, there's, wow, it's, listen, if you want to talk about a community you didn't know existed that is rife with drama, Hadrian's Wall scholars, man. I don't know if they have like a like a forum somewhere. If they meet regularly. Is there a chat? I don't know, okay? But there is drama. And I'm not going to take a side because <sighs> it's not my fight, okay? So let's talk about it. <laughs> so again, it's popular to believe that it was built as a defensive mechanism, essentially, against the North. But how much of a threat were the inhabitants of the North really? I mean, there are scholars that argue, not really. And then there are scholars that argue, okay, but there's no, this is a really permanent solution. Like we're building a huge stone wall and there's really no economic advantage to it. And what instead we could like conquer the North and put a f- collection of forts up there and it would probably do the same thing. So, you know, Here's these varying opinions. What are we doing here? Um another primary purpose may have just been as a physical barrier to slow the crossing of raiders. Listen, just to stop people from coming into England and stealing animals and treasure and slaves and then returning to the north where it was a lot harder to find them with all of their loot. I'm I'm inclined to lean this way. Again, I'm not going to take sides, but that feels kind of legit, okay? Just kind of as like a, hey, we know you've been doing this, so here's a wall, so you won't do that. Who knows, okay? What we do know is that the wall was not this continually, continuously embattled defensive line, okay? There were not millions of soldiers on it constantly to keep out the barbarians from the north. That's literally not a thing. It was probably used to deter casual crossing, Slow down enemy and any enemies that might have come, and really just give them time to get reinforcements in the case in case that they needed it. It was defensive to keep people out, yes, but it also helped keep people within the Roman province. Um, it helped so that movement around was channeled through the gates that were in the wall, which helped them be able to monitor for information, prevent or permit people to go through tax things as necessary, kind of boring to be honest. (laughs) When you look at it this way, it's like, wow. So we built Hadrian's wall for the bureaucracy. I love that, absolutely love that. And it's still around today. So we're just learning about a physical manifestation of red tape, which I love actually it's really, it feels incredibly petty when you think about it that way. It's almost inspirational if it wasn't annoying. So let's, but let's talk about some other things. So as well as having some very necessary physical, what am I trying to say? Physical um, jobs. We'll just say jobs. The wall did a lot physically, obviously. But aside from this, it also had a lot of different psychological And symbolic functions, which I never thought about. But archaeologist Jarrett A. Icobel said, quote, for nearly three centuries until the end of Roman rule in Britain in 410 AD, Hadrian's Wall was the clearest statement of the might, resourcefulness, and determination of an individual emperor and his empire. Of course, of course, I had never thought about this before then I read that and I was like, sir, archaeologist, thank you. It seems so obvious, but that's not something we think of because we see this physical wall and we're like, okay, why did they build this physical wall? But of course there are other functions. Of course it would change things psychologically and mean a lot more than we're we're just thinking. It was a defensive structure, yes. It was a bureaucracy. Bureaucracy, you know, like it had all of these different functions, yes, but it also served as a symbolic statement of Rome's imperial power. It marked the border between the civilized world and the barbarian wilderness, essentially. It's basically just this huge propaganda statement, which, if anybody's going to be that extra about a propaganda statement, it's going to be the Roman Empire, okay? Like, listen. In fact, archeologist Neil Faulkner states that Hadrian's wall, quote, was as much a propaganda statement as a functional facility, which, yeah, thank you, sir. Of course it was. And on top of all of this, okay, there there is evidence that the wall was originally covered in plaster and then whitewashed, which means that the surface would have reflected the sunlight and been, mis- like, and been visible for miles and miles. So think about this, okay? You're living in 122-ish, and you're just vibing like it's the old times, you have to wear a bunch of layers, you have to think of things to do, and you're just walking around, and you think, hey, maybe I'll go raid. And you come upon this wall that is huge and glimmering white, and you think, holy crap, is it the end of the world? I'm pretty sure that's a thing that happened. And when you think of it that way, it's absolutely insane. Can you imagine seeing this wall in its full glory? Like, crazy town, people. It's crazy. So we've got this crazy, beautiful, imposing, wild wall, okay? Just living his best life. And don't don't forget, people, there were soldiers stationed at this wall. There were when it had when it was freshly constructed and fully manned there were probably as many as 10,000 soldiers stationed at various points along the wall which is quite a few okay and contrary to what you might you might be thinking it's not just soldiers okay it's their wives and kids too a lot of the time which is crazy but something that i think is easy to forget or maybe just to not assume at all is that life is happening at this wall and people people are living their lives people are experiencing things people are just existing and it's it's so wild and I'm smiling cuz I'm excited about this next part but I just I don't think that you look at a structure like Hadrian's wall that screams so much military and think oh yes life regular life is happening here. Um, We need to talk about the forts a little bit, because like I mentioned briefly in the beginning, a lot of them have been excavated, and awesome, awesome stuff, okay? So one of the forts that has been excavated is known as Vindolanda, and at this fort, okay, wow, just wow, treasure trove, okay? We've learned so much about life on the Roman frontier from this place, and they've discovered a lot of fragments of tablets that were written on. Um, The ink that was used on them is carbon-based. Apparently, that is an important thing to note. So basically, it's just a postcard-sized piece of wood with stuff written on it. And they found so many of these at Vindolanda. They keep finding these. And... It's just, it's just incredible. Okay. So they have, they have a bunch of these tablets and they record official military matters. Yes. But they also record personal messages. Okay. To and from members of the garrison messages between their family members, slaves, all this stuff. Okay. And not surprisingly, these tablets are held at the British Museum. <laughs> Um, but arrangements are underway for some of these to be displayed at Vendolanda. and yes, I'm going to include all of the links in the world. So this this is crazy. So I'm I was looking through these tablets and doing my research, and I came across the best tablet that could ever be found in human history. Okay, and it's a it's just a little letter. Okay, a little postcard going on from one woman. Her name is Claudia, and she writes this letter to her friend Lipidina, who is the wife of the garrison commander, okay? And the translated note says, quote, Claudia Severa to Lipidina, greetings. On the third day before the Ides of September, sister, for the day of the celebration of my birthday, I give you a warm invitation to make sure that you come to us to make the day more enjoyable for me by your arrival, if you are present. Give my greetings to your serialists. My alias and my little son send their greetings. I shall expect you, sister. Farewell, sister, my dearest soul, as I hope to prosper and hail. And then it is addressed so it can get to her, etc., etc. Okay, friends. Yes, what you just heard was Claudia inviting Lipadina to her birthday party. That is what happened, okay? It is an invitation to a birthday party. I have so many questions that I need answers to. I am dying. I have to know everything about this birthday party. I want to know if Lipadina went, which obviously she did. They were clearly good friends. I want to know everything, okay? I'm I'm actually dying. This is so great. It's so, I'm out of breath because I'm geeking out. It's like, it's this glimpse into life and it's this reminder that no matter where or when we live, we're still people. It's this it's this snapshot into life at the time and, you know, they were on a frontier and they were at a military garrison and, you know, there's there's all these perceptions of what life probably was like or etc, etc. But it's just these, these two friends talking about a birthday party, you know? And I find that so beautiful and so intriguing and so encouraging. And I love it that they had this sisterhood between them. And I'm so glad that they had each other, to be honest. And as if this card, tablet, note, wasn't cool enough, okay? It is one of the earliest known examples of writing in Latin by a woman. We're so here for that. You freaking go, Claudia. So again, I will be adding all of the links. I will absolutely add a link so that you can find the birthday party invite. And as, as with everything, if you ever have more insights, more info, please let me know because we're all here to just keep learning. And I would love to know more about Vindolanda, about any of these tablets, life on the wall, etc. Let me know if you've got info. So let's wrap this up. Let's talk let's let's finish Hadrian's wall okay so there's just oh, this could honestly be its own podcast like this could be a series which sounds crazy cuz it's a wall but there's <laughs> there's a lot here anyway so i mentioned briefly we talked well actually i said it in a quote but rome left britain in 410 okay they were they were done with Rome, and Britain said, see you later, Rome. You're not... You're, you can't sit with us anymore. But we have evidence that parts of the wall were occupied until well into the 5th century, which is really, really interesting and super cool. I... Le- I love it. Okay. So, time passes, as it does. Time, time just flows on. And... Hadrian's Wall just keeps existing, and the UK keeps existing, and all this is happening. And as time goes on, people are using the stone for roads, for houses, for whatever. You know, it's it's just, it's getting used. And then we have a man named John Clayton who comes into the picture. Now, he comes into the picture a lot later. I don't have an exact year written down because I'm ridiculous, but I'm pretty sure he comes into the picture late 1800s, okay? He was all about historical preservation and excavation, and he started just buying the land that the wall was on, and again, preserving it, excavating sites, etc. And he's really the one that we have to thank for Hadrian's wall still being, probably not still being here totally. I mean, it's been a while and it's still here, but he's the one that we have to thank for all the knowledge that we have about it, the fact that there are museums and sites you can go to, the fact that there's preservation and a future for this wonderful historical place, like, thank you, sir. So in 2005, um, Hadrian's Wall was named a World Heritage Site, which we love. Again, feels a little late, but at least it happened. Um, And another cool thing, there is an organization that helps, supports, etc., add your own adjective. Um, It helps certain historical structures. For example, it supports the Great Wall of China. You know, so the Hadrian's Wall is part of that, which is good. Um, And we're just, there's so much here. And it got me thinking about a lot of things. You know, how do you... How do you preserve a wall? How do you keep a wall safe? How do you keep it intact? How do you preserve this kind of knowledge for years to come and for generations to come? And that's why people like John Clayton are so important because these places are so important. They're such a vital part of our history. And I think it's really, really easy to forget that. Um, you know, you're just driving by a wall or. You see a random building. You know, it's really, really easy to forget that these physical structures and places are a framework or even more a a foundation of our history and a jumping off point for so many different things. And it raised a lot of questions for me about preservation, about public education in a historical sense. And I would love to be able to help in some way. Maybe let me... Hadrian's Wall is in England. I'm sadly not living in England anymore, back in the United States, but so there there are a lot of places like this, obviously, that could use help, that could use attention, and I encourage each of you to find something like that nearby you where you could maybe volunteer, maybe help. Um, Hadrian's Wall is a a national trust site, so I can, again, post links for that. National Trust is great about that sort of thing, so if you're listening to this and you want to help Hadrian's Wall, follow the links. Again, if you have any information more about anything, I would love to hear it. So please share. And thank you so much for listening to our brief-ish episode about Hadrian's Wall. It was a great time, great fun. We love it. And we'll see you next time on Not Strictly History.